0: We hope you'll be blessed and inspired and challenged and motivated by this fresh word from Christian Heritage Church. Take your Bibles
1: this morning. Turn with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 59, Isaiah 59. As you're turning there, let me remind you, if you're interested in helping with Bible Vacation Bible School, there's a sign-up table out in the foyer. Please do so today. Also next Sunday night at 6 p.m. we launch our first Spanish service right across Main Street in the chapel. We invite you if you're a Hispanic, a Spanish speaker to come, be a part of that service. It's going to be a great time. We have uh, Carmela who's going to lead worship in Spanish and then uh, the preaching because I'm preaching has to be interpreted, but Andrea is going to help me with that. So come next week. It's going to be a great time at 6 p.m. Bring all your Spanish speaking friends with you. Isaiah chapter 59. I want to talk to you for a few moments this morning about the state of the church, the state of our nation, and the picture that we see in Isaiah 59, not only of where Israel was at in that particular moment of history, but how it reflects even today in modern America and in the church of Jesus Christ. When you read Isaiah 59, and we're going to take this a few verses at a time, so just leave your Bibles open. When you read Isaiah chapter 59, you see a picture of a nation, of a people, of a race who have turned their backs on God. Who have determined that we can do this by ourselves. Who have said in that passage of Scripture as Isaiah writes that really it's man's ability, it's man's intellect. Wow, J.B., i got some wild stuff going on up here. If you would uh, bring these monitors down, I'd really appreciate it. Or I'm going to have to do something different. Thank you. God's ability, or excuse me, man's ability, man's intellect, man's education, man's drive that makes everything happen. They were denying the very God who gave them birth. They were denying the very God who provides life. Now remember, Isaiah is writing to Israel those who were the chosen of God, the people of God, those who God set his hand on through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Yet through their history, they drifted away. Through this time in their lives, they were far from him. And in this picture, we see not only Israel, but we see many cultures, many nations, many peoples down through the ages that have done the exact same thing. We look around us today and tomorrow we celebrate the 240th birthday of the United States of America. And that's wonderful. I love the 4th of July. I love Independence Day. But I always want to remind believers we are first and foremost citizens of the kingdom of the Most High God. We are first and foremost believers and Christians in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm proud to be an American. I'm thrilled for the rights and the privileges and the freedom that this country grants to me as a born-again spirit-filled believer. But I never want to forget this country is temporal, but the kingdom of God is eternal. Somebody says 240 years, that's a long time. I'm here to tell you, that's nothing in light of eternity. God's kingdom has no beginning and it has no end. And you and I as born again believers are citizens of that kingdom and we should be excited about that. Matter of fact, we should be more excited that we're citizens of the kingdom of God than citizens of the United States of America. We should understand the benefits and the privileges that come with being named with the son of the living God as joint heirs with Jesus Christ, sons of the most high God. That should excite us so often today. And and we've talked about these things that it seems that culture is at war with Christianity in America today. And on certain uh, certain playing fields, that's absolutely true. But really, when you think about it, it's not that the world or culture, culture is at war with Christianity. It's that the world and culture is in rebellion against God. Refusing to acknowledge anything that he has deemed or anything that he has decreed. You see, when we remove God from our everyday life, when we declare enough, we don't need that, we're not interested, take your hands off, you know what he does? He does that very thing. He honors that request. That's where we're at in America today. We've been saying for years, enough, take your hands off. We're not interested. Oh, folks, it's time one more time for the church of Jesus Christ to bow on its knees, to repent of our sins, and say, God, would you favor us again? Would you visit us again? Would you minister life in and through us again? It's time for the church to be the church Jesus birthed us to be. The church was not birthed to be simply a religious organization, but you and I came into being through the Holy Spirit of the living God that we might take a word and a message that changes the world. Oh, listen to me. We can't accept the fact that Christianity is privately engaging without being culturally relevant. Christianity is relevant for our culture today. We need to understand we have a responsibility to take the relevance of the gospel to those who haven't heard. So well, I don't know what you mean by that. Well, let me explain it. When you read the New Testament, you'll see instance after instance after instance of Jesus engaging in culture. Jesus engaging in the very affairs of men and women. I remember the story of the demonic of the Gadarenes. The guy had been treated by all forms of society. Yet he was out of his mind. He was driven. He was mad. He had been chained and he broke the chains. They tried to reform him and he resisted the reform. But when Jesus landed on the coast of Gennesaret, the Bible says that demonic came to Jesus. And when Jesus saw him, he spoke a word. And the demons that were in that man fled and left. And he was returned to his right mind in his right state. So much so that all those around him said, what's happened with this dude? We've tried everything and nothing worked. But this guy, Jesus, speaks a word to him and suddenly he's made whole. Somebody get this today. What our society needs is not an addiction program, not another treatment program, not another example of a pill. What we need is the power of Jesus Christ. Now here, I'm not diminishing any of those things. There is a place for them. But I'm here to tell you, if we rely on treatment centers and 12-step programs and medication, we will never see culture confronted and lives changed. The only thing that can change humanity is a change of the hearts, And Jesus is the only one who has the power to do that. We look around us today and we see that Islam is at war with much of those who don't agree with what they what they preach. But they're choosing to use brute force to try to enforce their teaching and their doctrine. I've got news for you. We don't need to use brute force. We've got the love of love. We've got the king of kings. We've got the Lord of lords. We've got a word and a message that transcends every religion, every falsehood, every demonic entity. Do you know and understand he is still Lord of lords and king of kings? You know, you can read the gospels again and again and again. Jesus confronted culture. He made his teachings relevant to that day and to that time. Christianity cannot just be privately engaging without being culturally relevant. Let me explain what I think that means. I think it means that you and I can't be satisfied with a worship service like this if we truly know Jesus Christ. Well, I'm glad you came and I'm glad you chose to be here rather than at the beach today because that's a great sign for me, the preacher. But you need to understand, we don't come just to gather in the house of God once a week. If that's all there is to our Christianity, we are not culturally relevant. We are simply privately engaging. If we relegate our faith to this arena... If we never speak of Jesus Christ outside of these walls, if it never infuses our, our home and our workplace and our neighborhood and those that we influence, then our Christianity is not culturally relevant. And God, more than anything, wants us to be able to infuse the DNA of the Son of the living God into the hearts and the lives of those who are lost and dying and hopeless and helpless, who are looking not only for a hand up, but for a hand out of sin. Aren't you glad the psalmist said, he brought me out of the miry clay, and he set my feet on a rock to stay. Oh, come on, somebody. It's time to stop being... I'm going to say it. It's time to stop being a bunch of pacifists as Christians. Come on, it's time to get some zeal and some fervor in your spirit that takes you outside of this building and allows you to engage culture, knowing that when Jesus touches the demonic, when he touches the sinner, when he touches the adulterer, when he touches the blind, when he touches the lame, something's going to happen, but it will never occur. If you and I as members of his church, his body, don't step up and move from simply allowing Christianity to be privately engaging. Oh, I love my Jesus. I got my worship on today. You know, if I hear that one more time, I'm going to (laughs) puke. I am so sick and tired of people talking about how they get their worship on when they come to church. My question is, what are you doing the other six days a week? What is your worship doing for you that changes your world? You see, because we have bought the lie for decades. You're free to do what you want to do as long as you do it in the church. Keep it private. Don't make Christianity public. I've got news for you. Everything we do is on public display. Everything we do is out there for everyone to hear and see, either to know and understand and accept or to reject. You and I cannot accept the lie of this century and the last century that we have to keep things closed up and closeted and quiet as believers. My goodness, we've got the best news that's ever been given. Jesus Christ saves and heals and delivers. Why would we want to be silent about that? Why would we? We cannot make Christianity privately engaging without making it culturally relevant. So when you look at Isaiah chapter 59, that's exactly what you're seeing. You're seeing a people who, if I can borrow the words of Timothy, have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. We're seeing that even in the church yet today. A form of godliness but denying the power thereof. So when I look at this passage of Scripture, and I begin reading Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2, this is what the Bible says, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is there a heavy that it cannot hear. When Isaiah begins talking about the state of the nation of Israel, he wants to make something very, very clear. This is not a God deal. I want you to hear that, because too many times I hear believers say, Oh, but if only God would, if only God would show up, if only we would experience God's power, if only God would reveal himself one more time. I've come to tell you today, America is not in the situation it's in because God is silent. We're in the situation we're in because we have refused to call on him. Isaiah is saying very clearly, what you're seeing in this day and time, it's not a God deal. There is no weakness or inability on the part of God. The Lord's hand is not shortened. His ear is not deaf that it cannot hear. He's saying the problem with the society isn't God's ability or his power or even his willingness. The problem, look at verse 2. Your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. God is not handicapped. God is not put in a box. There is no fault, no weakness on His part, but the problem is our sin separates us from our God. Our sin causes Him not to hear, not to respond. The problem isn't that He's deaf. The problem isn't that He's powerless. The problem isn't that He will, cannot hear. The problem is He will not hear because of what is separating Him from us and us from Him. You see, when we really look at that, He's drawing a picture of a people, a nation, that have walked away from God, that have turned their back and decided to pursue their own interests, who decided they have a better way and they really don't need God at that point and at that time. You know, if you were in a conversation with me, and you turned and started walking away and I stood right here and you got about halfway down that aisle, I wouldn't be able to hear a word you said. Not because I have a hearing problem, don't you say anything, Yvonne. Not because I have a hearing problem. That's one of our often discussions, my hearing. You know, anyway, it's a whole nother story. It wouldn't be my hearing, it would because you chose to walk away. And the further you get from me, the less I hear. We need to understand that's the word picture Isaiah is drawing for us in this scripture. That when we turn our back and begin to walk away from God and the principles and the truths and the mighty power of a living God, we begin to hear less and less because he hears less and less. Church, you want revival? Then you need to stop getting your worship on and you need to start getting your repentance and your prayer on. Come to a place where you hear God again and God hears you. You can say amen or say oh me, it really doesn't matter. It's truth. You know, there's a huge prayer initiative going on in this church right now. 24-7 prayer, Tuesday night prayer, Saturday morning prayer, Sunday morning prayer. I love all that. We can't pray too much, as Yvonne said. But we also need to recognize until that prayer moves the heart of man to repentance, we're not going to see God move in our hearts and our lives. We need to hear it very clearly. You see, it says very clearly, because you walked away, because you created distance, you no longer hear from me. So let's look at the results of this walking away, this distance between us and God. Verse 3 says, your hands are defiled with blood, your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken lies, your tongue has muttered perversity. Micah 7.3 says, their hands are upon that which is evil to do it diligently. Micah 7.2, they all lie in wait for blood. They hunt every man, his brother with a net, violence and lying. Now, this is what he's saying was happening in Israel at this time. But my friend, lay it over America today. Does that not fit exactly where we're at? Because we have walked away from God. Because we're no longer hearing his voice. Because we're no longer putting ourselves in a place and a position through repentance and prayer to listen to the voice of God and the call of the Holy Spirit. Our society is filled with violence and lying. It's amazing. Look at verse four. There's a huge lack of integrity in the land in that time. No one calls for justice. Matter of fact, four times in Isaiah 49, or 59, he speaks of the fact there is no justice in the land. No justice. No one calls for justice, nor does any plead for truth. They trust in empty words and speak lies. They conceive evil and bring forth iniquity. Verse 5 tells us the people are depicted as snakes, giving birth to more snakes, breeding death. What a catastrophe. When our society is filled with violence and lies and lack of integrity, then anything goes. That's what he's saying. So they, in verse 6, they had no shame. Their webs will not become garments, nor will they cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquity, and the act of violence is in their hands. When you read that, you understand that the purpose of an outer garment... Is covering. And when you understand and read the Old Testament, you understand there's a close relation between covering and atonement. But what he's saying is, you're trying to wean garments to cover you that are like spider's webs. They do nothing for you. They don't cover, they don't cloak, they don't disguise, but rather all of your sin is still out there. Now, come on, make the application. There's only one thing that covers sin, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ. There's only one remedy for my sinful condition, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ. But when the blood's applied, oh, come on, somebody hear me. When the blood's applied, it's not just a... thin coating. You can scrape off with your thumbnail. But when I'm washed in the blood of the Lamb, I'm here to tell you my sins are not repositioned. My sins are not cast away, but they are gone in the name of Jesus Christ. (laughs) Transformed by Him. A lack of integrity. They had no shame in verse 6. They were not covered. Then verse 7 says they were guilty of murder and shedding innocent blood. Their feet run to evil. They make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity, wasting and destruction in their paths. Well, that doesn't apply to us. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Do you understand in America, we have killed over 60 million babies. And we call it a legalized abortion. My friend, murder runs in our streets. We look at the violence that happens in our cities now and we say, why? Trace it right back to Roe versus Wade when we said human life has no value. We need to understand the society that's painted in Isaiah 59 is mirrored in our society today. We have wasted an entire generation. We have removed them. Think of the numbers of doctors and lawyers and accountants and physicians and scientists and mechanics and plumbers that are gone that will never walk the earth because they were aborted. Oh, come on, folks, this needs to be something more than just some rhetorical type of thing. It's something more than just a, a topic of discussion. We need to understand that every time a life is ended through abortion, the promise of that life, the hope of that life, the future of that life is gone as well. And there's no way to regain it and bring it back. We need to understand we've wasted a generation through abortion. We have been guilty of murder and shedding Innocent blood. It never ceases to amaze me. We read the Old Testament, we read about the kings of Israel, and we read about Hezekiah, who was a good king. He tore down the high places, he destroyed the graven images, he returned Israel to a place of worship of the living God. But then the next king to succeed him, his name was Manasseh, his son. He took the throne at twelve years old, and he did exactly the opposite. He rebuilt the high places. He rebuilt the graven images. He even set up some new idols they didn't have before. And you know what else he did? He offered his sons and daughters to the false god of Moloch as human sacrifices. We say how terrible that is. Can I tell you, we in America have done the same thing. We've offered our sons and daughters on the altar of convenience. Just not convenient to be pregnant right now. On the altar of finances, I can't afford it right now. On the altar of personal pleasure, I should be able to do what I want to do without any consequences or repercussions. Oh, come on, folks, it's time to understand who Isaiah was speaking to also fits us today. Verse 8 says, there was injustice in the land. The way of peace they have not known. There is no justice in their ways. They made themselves crooked paths. Whoever takes that way shall not know peace. Now, if there's a word, you need to hear it this morning because this is a word from God. There are so many people messed up in chaos and confusion, bouncing from pillar to post, wondering why don't I ever know peace in my heart and in my mind? The answer is you're looking in the wrong place. The answer is there's only one peacemaker and his name is Jesus Christ. He has come to destroy the works of the devil. And I've come to tell you, if you have chaos and confusion and turmoil and and conflict in your life, come back to the peacemaker and let him do a work in your hearts. Let him resolve that in you and through you this morning. You don't have to leave here in chaos and confusion. You can leave here. In the peace of God that passes all understanding, you can leave here in the assurance that he will calm your troubled mind. He'll quiet your terminal spirit. He will bring peace in the midst of your storm. Not once, but every single time if you turn to the peacemaker. Why can't I have peace in my life? Well, the scripture answers that. It says they have made themselves crooked paths. That's why we don't have peace. Because we're not doing what God asks us to do. We're not following his instruction. See, the problem in Israel was not God. And I want you to hear that. The problem is not God. The problem in America is not God. God loves America. God loves Americans. He loves everybody. That's what the word says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but come to repentance. We need to understand he loves us. He loves everybody. It doesn't matter your nationality. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter your culture or your language. He loves you. And because he loves you, he wants you to understand your your lack of hearing from him, your lack of seeing him move in your life, your lack of peace, it's not about God. It's about you and me. It's about you and me. And when we resolve that and accept that, then we see God move in our lives. Understand God is as ready to forgive today as he was 2,000 years ago. The problem is sinners who are not ready to be forgiven. That's the problem. The problem is a wall of separation between man and God that's been raised because, as Isaiah said in verse 2, of our iniquities. This is the condition we get ourselves in when we follow that crooked path of sin. Isaiah 59, 12 says, our sins testify against us. Our transgressions are with us. As for our iniquities, we know them. Let me say it again. God's not the problem. It's me and you. God's not the problem. It's our lack of recognition that we need a savior and a deliverer in our lives. Verses 14 and 15 say truth has fallen in the streets. Those who sought to do right were oppressed and harassed. The Lord saw this and was displeased that there was no justice. When I read those verses early this morning, I thought there's no better way to describe America than the verses 14 and 15. Truth has fallen in the streets. There's no longer a standard that is absolute, but rather it's whatever you choose to do. Friend, i come to tell you there still is a standard. It's the word of the living God. We are designed by him to live our lives according to its principles and its concepts. And when we choose to do that, he leads us and guides us and directs us. It doesn't mean we'll be perfect. It doesn't mean we'll never fail. But it means when we fail, we get up and we go on again. We don't stop in that point of failure. But we understand his power and his grace are sufficient for me. And I will overcome because he's already overcome. It's a sad condition. Look at verse 16. Isaiah says, God saw that there was no man, no intercessor. Earlier in Israel's history, there had always been an intercessor. Abram was an intercessor. Abram was an intercessor. He interceded for the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. You remember that story. We know that Moses was an intercessor. We've been talking about that on Wednesday night. We know that Joshua was an intercessor. They stood between God and Israel and made God or talked to God about coming around to honor Israel and preserve Israel. David was an intercessor. But when Isaiah was writing these passages, there was no intercessor in Israel. So what he tells us should be encouraging to us. Because there was no intercessor, God took matters in his own hands. God became the intercessor at that point and at that time. Verse 16 says his own arm brought forth salvation. His righteousness, it sustained him. Oh, come on, friend. I'm here to tell you, God is still looking for a man or a woman to be an intercessor, to stand in the gap. But even when there isn't one, the God of the universe is still the intercessor. Oh, how do I know that? Read the stories of what's happening in the Mideast. Read the stories of Muslim families who are having revelations and visions and dreams about the Jesus who is the Christ and they're turning to Him. They've never had the gospel preached. They never had a radio program or a TV program. They've never held a Bible, but the Lord himself becomes their intercessor, standing between them and a certainty in hell and declaring there is grace and mercy and love and peace and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, even today, if necessary, he's that intercessor. He's that intercessor. Verse 20 says, the redeemer will come to Zion. That's a prophetic, a messianic prophecy. He's saying that today there may be no intercessor, but one day there's going to be one. He's going to be the Redeemer. He's talking about Jesus, who is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Isaiah 59, everything from verse 1 to verse 19 demonstrates a need for a Redeemer. And then when you switch to verse 19 and 20, you see a Redeemer has been provided. Oh, come on. If there's hope for America today, it's that Jesus Christ is still our Redeemer, He is still alive and well. He is still ruling and reigning. He is still forgiving and cleansing and delivering men and women. God looked and saw there was no intercessor, so he took action. He put events into place, and he brought Jesus into the heart and life for the entirety of the world. So when we begin to understand these principles, that this is where we're at as a society, this is where we're at as a country, We are separated from God, not because God no longer hears us, but because we've walked away. Not because God is no longer powerful, but because we've walked away. Because we have substituted His power, His grace, His mercy for my ability, my intellect, my knowledge. We've substituted what man can do for what God wants to do. And as a result, we're left in a place and a time when everything we talked about is true in our nation. Truth has fallen in the street. Violence is rampant. We see murder on every hand. But I want you to know there is still hope today. And that hope lies in the fact that Jesus said these words upon this rock. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What rock was it? It wasn't Peter, folks. No, it was the confession of Peter. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Oh, come on. Somebody get it in your spirit one more time. We need to take Christianity from being personally engaging to being culturally relevant and declare he is the Christ, the son of the living God. You've got to get over this shyness and be filled with boldness one more time to declare my Redeemer lives. See, even today, sin has the same effect on us that it did in ancient Israel. It separates us from God. We as an individual or as a nation cannot disregard God, walk away from God, ignore God's instructions without impact on our lives. It's going to affect us. Nobody has ever said this as plainly as John did when he wrote these words in 1 John chapter 1, verses 6-10. through If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Did you all hear what that said? I'm not making this up. This is the word of God. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light... We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Somebody ought to shout amen. The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. And if we say we have no sin, that's some too. What are you talking about? There's nothing wrong with me. I'm okay. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins... He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So this is where I'm going this morning. Every one of us in this room need to recognize it's not just a one time thing when I come and confess my sin to Jesus Christ. But every day I need to find a place and I need to pray, Lord cleanse me. Lord forgive me. Lord cover me. Because as long as I am bound in this fleshly body there is a war and there is a struggle and there is a And I may may not always be successful in conquering the temptation of the devil. But I can always be successful in coming to the throne of God. And one more time, confessing my sin to him who is faithful and just to forgive me my sin. And to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Now, you religious folks in this place, you don't like that. You know why you don't like that? Because I got saved 47 years ago. I'm one of the charter members of my church. I know every hymn. I know every recitation. I know the liturgies inside and out. I don't need that stuff. Can I tell you? You're on dangerous ground. Religion is a dangerous place to live. Well, I'm calling you today to come into relationship, come into the light, come into fellowship with the Holy One. Confess your sin. He's faithful and just to forgive your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Religious folks have this standard. Well, because you did this, you will never be able to do that. Because you transgressed in this place. You will never be accepted in the house of God. Oh, because you got a divorce, you're never going to be able to speak words of life. You're now a second class citizen in the kingdom of God. And it's best if you just sit down and shut up and be a bump on the pew. Can I tell you that's a lie from the pit of hell? The Bible says if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You show me the caveat there. What's excluded from that promise? What is not included in the blood of Jesus Christ? You tell me the sin that his blood doesn't cover. And I'm going to show you from the word. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. For the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from our sin. Well, that ought to be good news. I'm tired of restrictive religion. I want to walk in the light as he is in the light. I want to walk in the light that gives me illumination for my next step. That lets me know, James, even when I fall, he's there to pick me up. Even when I fail, he's going to set me back on my feet. He's going to give me a shove. And he's going to say, you don't quit. Just before you, because you skinned your knee, you get up and you move on in the kingdom of God. Listen, the church has done more to run people off who failed and sinned than we've ever done to embrace the sinner and the lost. You know, I'm thrilled every Sunday and every Wednesday when broken, bruised, messed up people walk through those doors into this sanctuary. I'm thrilled when the drunkard and the drug addict, when the abused and the abuser can come into the house of God And the Lord of the universe can show them grace and show them mercy. Oh, folks, it's time to get off your high horse. Quit looking down your religious nose and understand the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from our sin. Let him change you this morning. Let him change you. But when we stay separated from God, when we turn from God, then we turn to lies. That's what Isaiah 59 tells us. Verse 4, no one calls for justice, nor does any plead truth. They trust in empty words and speak lies. They conceive evil and bring forth iniquity. Have you ever met anyone that it's, it's actually more convenient to tell the truth, but they choose to lie? I don't understand that, do you? It makes no sense. It's a sign of the culture. It's the sign of the separation from God in that individual's life and in our culture around us. Micah said it this way about the heads and the rulers of the house of Israel and Jacob. He said they abhor justice and pervert all equity. Listen, you can't turn from God and expect to bear fruits of righteousness. You can't turn from God and expect to be a nation or a people or a church upon whom His blessing rests. The only way to know the favor of God is to run to Him. Press in. Don't press, don't walk away. Press in and let God do something in you. And then last, as I wrap it up, when we don't have a relationship with the Father, then in our lives, there is no covering. There is no atonement. There is no solution to our sin problem. The problem isn't God, friend. The problem is you and me. The problem isn't that God doesn't have power. The problem isn't that God can't hear and respond. The problem is you and me. We have allowed our lifestyle, our choices. I've got a friend in Oklahoma City. His name is Terry Bates. He's pastoring Faith Church. He was interviewed recently because he'd been preaching a series of messages about culture. How culture is in opposition to the word of God. One particular message, he talked about the homosexual lifestyle, how that, that's not something God approves of. And as he was preaching, people were getting up, he's about 1,800 people, getting up out of the sanctuary and walking out. Giving us down 50% at Faith Church in Oklahoma City because someone chose to preach the truth. Listen to me, what I'm saying. I'm saying that it doesn't matter what you think, what you feel, what you believe. What matters is what does God's Word say about the condition of your hearts. It's not a God problem. It's a Steve problem. It's not a God problem. It's about you and what's going on inside your heart and in your life today. Now understand, God loves everybody. I've already told you that. It doesn't matter who you are, who you are, where you're at, what your life looks like. He loves you, but you need to understand when he saves you, when he redeems you, when he washes you in the blood of Christ, you are born again. You're created anew. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. He's put you on the road of righteousness. He's filled you with the power of the holy ghost he gives you the ability to live strong for him to adhere to the standards of the word of god and not allow your christianity simply to be privately engaging but it then becomes culturally relevant father in jesus name in this room this morning would you please take the things i've tried to communicate drive them into the heart of your people Lord, would you speak please speak to hearts and lives right now? Holy Spirit, convince and convict right now. Let your mighty presence fill this room. Let a sense of your holiness fill this place. God, move in us. Move in us today.
2: I have made a way. I've opened a door. I've unlocked it. I've called and I've begged you. I've said, come, come, lay down the weight, lay down the burden, lay down the onus that has been on your back, but yet you turn your back, yet you walk your own way. Do you not know that a nation that turns its back on God ends up in the gutter of history? Yet I stand here before you today and I say, come, lay down your pride, lay down the name that you call as holy and turn to me. Seek my face, seek my face, come unto me and I will give you the rest that you've cried out for. Has he not said, today is the day? Come to me now and lay aside that pride and become the person that you have been called, created, and anointed to be in my son's name.
1: Thank you, Father. Receive the word of the Lord this morning. If you're not familiar with Pentecostal worship, you heard a message in tongues with its interpretation. Paul outlined in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 if you have questions see me after the service this morning the Holy Spirit is clearly drawing men and women, boys and girls to him he's issuing a challenge will you confess your sin? Will you allow me to cleanse you to change you, to transform you today? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed across this room, I'm speaking to you this morning, sir or ma'am, God the Holy Ghost has been talking to you for an hour now about your need to know Jesus as your Savior about the fact that your life is a wreck it is in chaos and nothing you can do is going to change that except coming to Him you're in this room this morning you say I'm tired of living the way I'm living I'm ready to let God control my life I'm ready to allow His Son to move in and take up residence to forgive me of my sins and to change my life that's you right where you sit across this room from side to side, front to back. As I count three, I want you to raise your hands across this place. God's talking to you. You know, he's talking to you. This isn't the day to resist him. This is the day to give in, to submit, to say, I need a savior. As I count three, one, you're going to lift your hand. You're going to say, that's me. I need Jesus in my heart and in my life, too. I want to accept him and confess him. I want him to cleanse me and forgive me. Three, hands up all across this room this morning. Yes, 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 others. Lift your hand. Yes, yes, others. Come on, I'm waiting on you. Yes, someone else. Someone else. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from. doesn't matter the church you may be out of. What matters is you need Jesus. Others, as I wait another moment. You'll join these. Many have lifted their hand. Another moment, so
0: Our prayer is that God will take this word and plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. Father, we pray for your great wisdom to infiltrate this listener, draw them to you, and take them gently down the road to their next destination in life. And if you're in need of a home church, we invite you to join us at Christian Heritage Church on Shera Road in Tallahassee, Florida